0: Welcome to the Know Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. I'm so glad that you've joined us for our podcast This is Jeffrey. I'm the one whose voice you usually hear. You're going to hear it more today. Today's podcast is uh, my preaching from this last Sunday where I've decided that we needed to go through the book of Philippians, and we're covering a chapter a week. We are covering chapter two, or we did cover on Sunday. You're going to hear this, and the intent behind this is that uh, people would listen to all four, go through all four chapters with me and then feel like they really understand what Philippians is about. A spoiler alert, uh, chapter 2 is about humility and unity, these being important themes not just in this book but in many books of the Bible and modeled by Christ Jesus himself as it talks about in, in chapter 2. Just want to remind you, uh, any, anyone listening, that the Word of God really is not this optional thing. Uh, the Bible is not an optional thing. Christians of every age have known that it is uh, the, the the truest guide uh, to who God is and, and what our covenant with him is, and without it, we cannot know God. We do not know God. We do not have access to God. So um, I, I just wanted to say that clearly so that we're always giving the respect and uh, attention and gravity to biblical study that, that we should give. I feel bad that I haven't emphasize this more in the seven years that I've been here, almost seven years, uh, which I've loved. I love the church, and I love the ministry, but there are some things that I've focused on to um, the detriment of others, and I, I don't think I've focused enough on the importance of God's holy word, understanding it, uh, knowing it, living it, being conformed to it. So uh, it's my hope that as you reflect on today's scriptures with me that, that you feel that Call that urge to be conformed to what you encounter here, and that you're given a hunger to uh, understand chapter three and chapter four, and uh, a joy of knowing God's word. And even if that's already been a part of of uh, who you are, I pray that this is something that that just gives you more of that yearning and joy. So I'm going to stop talking now, and you're going to hear what we did together from this last Sunday. And I pray. Uh, I've already said a couple prayers, but this is a final one, that your heart and mind and spirit are drawn into unity with us and with all true believers through your encounter with God's word. Blessings. Last week we begun uh, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, and my stated intention with this is that we feel, as a community, much more familiar with the scriptures. Our general pattern has been, to, to take four snippets from different places in the Bible, I wanted to dig in and for this summer just read entire books of the Bible through so that we can see how these thoughts are connected in a, an interweaving web of faith in our lives. We covered Philippians chapter 1 last week, talking about the nature of suffering and freedom in Christ and how it is that we approach those themes in light of Paul's testimony this week we're in philippians 2 we're on page 1824 of your pew bibles 1824 and my hope is that you will track with me and that by the time that worship is over today you will feel like hey i understand an entire uh chapter of the bible i i hope you felt that way last week i encouraged you to go home and open your bibles and review that chapter i'm going to ask you to do the same thing today here in a couple of weeks, we will have read all four chapters of Philippians. And I hope that you can go all the way through Philippians and say, I understand this book. My life reflects the truth reflected in this book. Because the thing is, we're warned that we're not to be hearers of the word only, but doers. That's a whole point. So the, the Francis Chan gives a silly uh, analogy. He says, and I know I've told this from the pulpit before, but it's helpful. He says, I bought a Toyota last year. had it delivered by the uh delivery man and i i opened it up and what do you know in the glove box there's a there's a manual for it and man i love this manual i took this manual and i read the whole thing and i started posting little post-it notes around my house with little sections of the instruction manual and i got out my guitar and i made up some songs about the instruction manual and i i even started learning the uh, japanese so that i could memorize parts of it and really understand the instruction manual but i haven't driven the car yet And the notion there is, you know, the whole point of this is to teach us how to live. The whole point is to to change the way that we live, give us a a way to live, empower us. uh, One of the scriptural phrases for what we're doing here is equipping the saints for ministry. You're the saints. You're supposed to know what's in here. You're supposed to be changed by it. Your life's supposed to be a reflection of it. That's why we spend so much time in the Word. That's why churches in America are in such bad a state. most churches are not spending time in the word. And I, I feel the cultural pull here. I know that's why we haven't had a lot of engagement with Thursday evening Bible study. There have been a lot of people that, ah I just it's just not a priority. Well, lovingly, as your pastor, I am insisting on this being a priority. And if you're not going to do it midweek, I'm going to make you do it here and now. You're going to eat your vegetables, okay? I don't feel any pity for my kids having to eat their vegetables. I don't feel any pity for you having to wade through these eternal words of life. This is life. This is love. Without this, you are lost. And I love you too much not to bathe you in God's word while you're here. So, with that in mind, let's look at Philippians chapter 2. We're going to do what we did last week. I'm going to read a little bit. We'll talk about it. We'll make sure everybody's together on this. Listen to the word of God. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ. Is that something that we should have? Encouragement, yes, okay. What about if any comfort from his love, should we have that? What about if we have if you have any common sharing in the spirit. Should we have common sharing in the spirit? You see that spirit is capitalized. It's talking about the Holy Spirit there, right? Should we all commonly share in the Holy Spirit? Oh, okay. What about if any tenderness and compassion? Should we have tenderness and compassion? Yeah. Yeah, we should. Okay, if you have these, then make my joy complete. Who is my? Who's writing? Paul. Paul is writing. He's saying, you can make my joy complete. How? By being like-minded. What does like-minded mean? You have a mind. You have a mind. You have a mind. You have a mind. And all of them are... Alike. We're not here. Ask, ask this question. We're, we're not leaving this behind. He's going to delve into it more. Are we called to be separate special snowflakes? Or are we called to common identity in Christ Jesus? Are we called to having the same mind, the same heart, the same relationship with God? That scares the tar out of some folks to think about. Let's 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 go on. So Make my joy complete, we're in verse 2, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Wow, he's uniting the mind, the spirit, and our love. We're supposed to be united in these three things. Who's Well, yeah, he's writing to a church, right? He's saying you, plural, second person plural, y'all. He's saying y'all, I want y'all to be united in these things. You want to make my joy complete? You want to make Christ's joy complete? He's he's not saying he is Christ. He's saying as a Christian leader, he's writing to them, if you want to please those who are holy, then part of being holy is being like-minded, sharing in love, sharing in your mind and spirit. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition. We know what selfish means. You're focused on yourself, right? To be ambitious, though, in our culture is a virtue, right? And I'm not sure he's saying all ambition is wrong, but if it's rooted in yourself, selfish desires, that's not good. Do, not be, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. We know what conceited means, right? When you're infatuated with yourself. What's vain mean or vanity? When something is vain, what is it? So when, when, when we're talking about someone who is vain, usually we're saying they're very concerned with their looks, right? But the, the word actually points to, do your looks matter? Does the way you look matter? Does God care how you look, that you put on makeup, that you wear nice clothes? Does God care about that? No. So it's meaningless. So when something is vain, that means it has no meaning, has no weight. It's, it's, it's as meaningless, as, as the, it carries as much weight as the air. So whenever, in Ecclesiastes... King Solomon says, vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. He's saying nothing means anything, nothing matters. It's the most depressing book in the Bible. It's a portrait of what life is like without Jesus. Without Jesus, life is meaningless. Everything dies, everything falls apart, everything disappears into the ether. Without Jesus, the one who makes eternal, who is eternal, nothing matters. Everything is meaningless, including you. And I know that hurts to hear, but that's what it's saying here is your life, if it's obsessed with yourself, your feelings, your desires, your thoughts, doesn't matter. It means nothing. It'll disappear into the ether. It'll, it'll have nothing to do with eternity or meaning. Life is not meant to be lived. Your life is not about you. Let's remind ourselves, what was the, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? What was it? That's the second greatest commandment. What's the first greatest commandment? Y'all didn't hear Johnny. The second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You notice where yourself comes in there? Last. God is first, others second, you are third. There was a famous football player who wrote a book a few decades ago called I Am Third. He was talking about how he had discovered joy in his life by putting himself in his place. God is first, others second, he was third. Says rather, we're in verse 3, rather in humility value others above yourselves. I would hope that the words I'm supplying fit perfectly with what the scriptures say here. He's, he's speaking very clearly. Do not be selfish or uh, uh, conceited. Rather, view others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. You tell me, would you rather be in a church where everybody comes in going, me, 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 this is what I want, this is the songs I like, I need to have my cup filled up, if I don't get it, I'm going to be upset, or a church where everybody comes in going, I want to praise God and I want to take care of my brothers and sisters here. Gee, I wonder what my sister needs here, I'm going to pray for her. Gee, I wonder what my brother is going through here, I need to spend some time talking to him. Which one would you rather belong to, the me, me, me church or the considerate of others' church. And I know some of you are kind of socially awkward and you get kind of anxious about people being in your space, but the reason you're here and not at home is because you have a deep inner need that is filled by God and his people, and that's why you're here. God built that hunger in you, and it might feel weird and awkward, but that hole is meant to be filled. And it's awkward though, because we don't do anything like this in any other sector of society. Talk about the most important stuff. Be vulnerable about the fact that we are not good to ourselves and to others. And we need God to change us from the inside. Only the church does that. We need that. But we're not going to have that whole field if we're coming in going, me, me, me. The reality is, um, I heard somebody say, um, being selfless is not about um, Oh yeah, it's not about thinking less of myself. It's about thinking about myself less. Thank you, Sarah Beth. I would not have gotten that. But but to be selfless, to be as Christ requires us, it's not that I have to just sit around and actively hate myself, although sometimes that is helpful. I'm not going to I I I've, I've very much benefited from hating myself. I'm not going to knock that, but I am going to say the point here is not to just be down in the 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 dark nastiness all the time the point is to be thinking of other people a lot of problems just don't get figured out if you're thinking about yourself all the time another way it's called navel gazing you know what your navel is it's your belly button and some people their life is just what's going on down here what's going on in me how do i feel what do i think a lot of times you're not going to get liberty from the things that enslave you unless you think of other people unless you think of the lord That's why we worship. When worship happens, you're not supposed to come and be holding on to all your stuff. You're supposed to set your stuff aside and be thinking on God and others. You need some freedom from yourself. There are a lot of people that visit with me that are enslaved to sin and they say, Pastor, what can I do? And I say, come to worship. Stop thinking about yourself. Look around at these other people in the pews. Wonder at them. What are they going through? Watch them. Listen to them. Watch how they live their lives. There is a lady, this is not a true story. Well, it might be, I don't know, but a pastor I saw put this on Facebook. He said, there was a lady who sat down with the pastor before worship one Sunday and said, Pastor, I got to leave the church. There's too many hypocrites in here. You know what? I'm not going to tell that story. It doesn't serve the point I was going to make. I'm apparently tired. I can't believe I started telling that story. Forget that story. Halfway through verse 3. Rather in humility, value others about yourself, above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you listening, looking to the interests of others. Okay, verse 5. In your relationships with one another. let me Time out. Is he talking to people just within the church, or is he talking to people, just all people in the world? Everybody, I'm going to disagree with you. I'm going to say this is only to church people. Because the thing is, In a covenant community, we get to decide, or actually God has decided, but we get to decide the standard to which we're held. In the U.S., I mean, part of the reason we have such misery politically right now is we can't decide the one standard everybody should be held to. A lot of us were just born here. We didn't sign up for this stuff. So we have very different mindsets that are trying to fit together, and it doesn't work. Within the church, though, this is a voluntary confessional organization. I didn't make you join, did I? Your parents might have made you join, but there was a day where you said, I, I willingly participate in this. So there is a culture here. There is a way of life here. And if you don't want to fit, you need to get out. Because you're going to make everybody miserable, including yourself. You ever been in a dysfunctional relationship where one person's doing one thing and the other person they're tied to is is doing something else entirely. And it just causes fighting and resentment all the time. That's a lot of churches. And the whole point is... We're supposed to be seeking to be one heart, one mind, one spirit. We're supposed to be putting others' needs ahead of our own felt desires. It's said that very clearly here, right? Now, it says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. It's talking to people within the church. This is one of the things that's made our country miserable. We say, we're a Christian nation. We need Christian laws. We need everybody to follow Christ, even if they don't confess Christ. How's that working out? You can't force someone to follow Jesus. You can't force someone to believe what you believe. You can't force someone to be a Christian who doesn't want to be a Christian. But within the church, do we want to be Christians? God help us if that's not what we're doing here. This is the place where you should be able to expect every single person is trying to have the mind of Christ. Now, how do we know what the mind of Christ is? Isn't Christ what we want him to be? Christ is what we need him to be, but what do we need? We find that in the Bible. There is no Christ that you can find who is not reflected in the Bible. There's a lot of false Christs. There's only one true Christ, and he's reflected in the Bible. Do we know this? Let's hear about that Christ. Verse 6, who, being in very nature God, was Jesus God? Is Jesus God? Yes, in being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So Jesus was equal with God, is that right? Yes, we believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, co-eternal, co-powerful, um, of the same substance. Jesus was equal with God. When he came and took on flesh, was he a king in a palace with lots of wealth lording it over people? No. Verse 7, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Is that a fun death? That's the opposite. That's what Jesus did. And if that's how Jesus lived, gee, we're called to be like him. We're called to be humble like him. We're called to be willing to suffer and die like him. That's a clear example. Why would we do that? Verse nine. Therefore, God exalted him. Exalted means lifted up, right? Raised him up from the dead, lifted him up to the highest heaven. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Anybody remember what Jesus' name means? Savior, salvation. In Aramaic, it's pronounced Yeshua, means Savior, salvation. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, here and now, at this point in history, does everybody acknowledge that Christ is Lord? What does Lord mean, by the way? Boss, master, the one in charge. Does does everybody in the world acknowledge Christ is Lord? A minority confesses him as Lord, and a minority of that minority actually lives like he's the Lord. Okay? But there is a day coming when the skies will be rolled back as a scroll, and every eye shall see him, and those who pierced him will wail because they will finally see that they destroyed, tried to kill the author of salvation. One day is coming where those who denied Christ will no longer be able to deny him, they will confess. And they will bow, even though they were enemies, they will bow the knee and confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That day will be dreadful for those outside of Christ. What are we going to be doing? Singing God's praises, right? Dancing in the streets, rising in the air. There's some scripture about this. But if we are not in Christ, it is going to be a terrible day. We want to live and die as Christ Did because what it results in is us being exalted to be with Christ. Who wants to be with Christ? That's what we're doing here. This is a training ground in righteousness. We are equipping the saints for ministry here and now. That means conforming our lives to what we find here. So, what's that look like? We've already been talking about it. We got more details in verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, have you always obeyed? Confess. No. Not only in my presence, but now more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with, what are those two words? Fear and trembling. He's talking to people who have already confessed Christ, who have been walking well. He's saying you need to stay afraid and stay trembling. Why? Because your salvation is on the line. Because how you live has eternal consequences. We are not walking around footloose and fancy free. whistling in the elevator. I mean, you can whistle in elevators, but I'm saying life needs to be lived soberly, realizing that how we live matters. I don't think we're supposed to literally spend every moment, every day, trembling and afraid. I think our lives are supposed to be marked with a sober fear of God. Remember, fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom, right? Now, we don't want to be fearful. It doesn't feel good to be fearful, does it? However, When you don't feel fear, bad things happen. Just like when you don't feel pain, right? If someone doesn't feel any pain at all, that's actually a bad thing. They can touch a hot stove and not feel their flesh burning. They can take a fall and not feel their broken bones. And if wounds like that are not treated, they cause infection and eventually death. We need pain. We need fear. Can anyone say amen to that? Verse 13, for it is God who works in you to, to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. I kind of said that awkwardly, but let me ask you a question. Are you walking the path of righteousness because you're smarter than other people, because you're better than other people, or because God enabled you and you're actually no better than anybody else? One or two. Everybody knows you've been trained, at least in your sensibilities, not to brag. Yet Christians often feel like, well, I am just smarter. The reason I'm there on Sunday and you're not is because I made a good decision and you didn't. That's not it. It's God who wills you and works in you to do righteousness. It's not you. It's God. One time there was an addict came and worshiped with with, uh, a congregation I was serving. He was upset. He came and sat with me later in the week and he said... uh, I'm just so upset. I'm such a good person. I do such good things, and yet I just drink alcohol, and I turn into this demon, and I said, what, what if that's the problem? He said, it is a problem. I'm telling you it's a problem. I said, no, what if the problem is that you think you're a good person who does good things, and he just looked at me christ side I said, did you think that you worshiped with a bunch of good people on Sunday? Because let me tell you, I'm not a good man, and the people in that sanctuary, they're not good people. They're sinners just like you, Who know that without Christ Jesus, they are toast. And sorry, uh, forgive me for speaking on your behalf, but that's the portrait that Jesus paints. Jesus didn't come to save the righteous and destroy the wicked. He came to save sinners. Are you a sinner? I looked at this guy and said, I'm going to go home and I'm going to love my wife. I'm going to take care of my kids. I'm going to pay my taxes to people like you. I know I look like a good man. I am a bad man. I don't deserve good things. And he said, I, I can't believe you're saying this. Your life must be so awful. I said, if it weren't for Jesus, my life would be awful. But my God has had mercy on me as I've turned from my sin and I've, I've clung to him. I said, because on the day of judgment, the only people who are going to make it are those who have died to themselves and been born again in Christ Jesus. And if I have my own righteousness that I cling to, I'm not going to make it. Christ is going to say to me, I never knew you. Get away from me, you evildoer. And this guy said... Jesus would never say that to anybody. So I handed him a Bible and opened it to Matthew seven. I said, read this passage here. And Jesus talks about that last day. And people come to him saying, Lord, Lord, I did all these wonderful works for you. And I said, you were just telling me about all these good works you did, right? Let's see how it works out for him. And Jesus says, get away from me, you evil doer. I never knew you. And it was like this guy got punched in the face. Nobody had ever pointed out that scripture to him. Jesus himself says, That will be the judgment for those of us who hide behind our own works, our own goodness, because the reality is, outside of Christ, everything is vain. Not just that, everything is bad. Even if it doesn't feel bad, it is. We'll talk more about feelings in a second. Verse 14, here's one that will convict some people. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Oops. What's to be said about people who grumble and argue? Or what's to be said to people who grumble or argue? Stop it. (laughs) You're killing yourself. Stop it. You're making yourself and everybody else miserable. Life is not about grumbling and arguing. Now, is that to say we can never have a disagreement? No, it's to say the way you disagree matters. If you're grumbling and arguing, you're doing it wrong. Verse 15, so that... You may become blameless and pure. Can we be blameless and pure? Vicky, look at Vicky. What a Methodist. Yes. The world people worldly would say no, you can't be. Well, and if you can't be, why would God tell you to be? It's like looking at Clementine and telling her to fly. Is my daughter going to fly? No. That would just be a cruel thing for a father to put on a child. She would be so upset, you know. I'm not going to tell her to do something she can't do. Our Father in heaven has not told us to do something that he cannot do. That's the expectation. So that you may be blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. What's a warped and crooked generation? That's the world. That's everybody outside of Christ. We're not supposed to be like them. Come out of them, it says. Here, back in verse 15, it says, Then you will all shine you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Doesn't that sound nice? Now, we live in a world that says you're a shining star if you listen to your heart and follow your dreams. I think Lady Gaga said that. All, that's everywhere she went. No. The opposite is you will shine like a star if you give up on yourself, die to yourself, forsake yourself, rebuke yourself, and live for Christ because he's your Lord. That's when you become like a star. Have I made those two things clearly opposite? It's such a clearly, we're not called to live for ourselves, to listen to our hearts, to listen to our minds. Rather, we're calling ourselves to common identity in Christ Jesus. So that means we forsake, our. we don't listen to ourselves. We are not our guide. Who is my guide if not me? Jesus. How do I know what Jesus is leading me to do? Tell me, how do I know what Jesus wants me to do? Read your Bible. Is this rocket science? No. We're doing great here, folks. You should be more confident here. Tell your pastor to read his Bible. Thank you, sister. Tell me again. I need to hear it again. Tell me to read my Bible. Okay. Now you read your Bible. Okay. Good deal. Okay. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. So, yeah, talking about the Bible... The thing is, you got to hold firmly to the word of life. you got to know what's in here. you got to live by it. That's when you become like a shining star. You can form your life to this, and then you will shine like a star in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. A lot of people listen to that going, I don't want to stand out. I'd rather fit in with the crooked and perverse ones and then just pray that God will forgive me in the end. Is that the deal you find when you open the Bible? No. Today is the day of salvation. Verse 16, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. What's vain mean? Meaningless, right? So he's saying, I've done all this work building up the church. If you stay holy and grow in righteousness, then it's worth it. If you guys fall apart, then all the work I put into you means nothing. That's what he's saying. Verse 17, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and Service coming from your faith. I am glad and rejoice with all of you. He's talking about how he might be about to be killed. He's saying, if I'm about to be killed, then my blood being poured out is a blessing on you and your faith. That's great. I'm just fine with that. Verse 18, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. It's actually a glorious thing for someone to die for Christ, to die in Christ. Man, we're already over time, so I'm going to pick up the pace. I hope in the Lord Jesus... To send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. So Timothy was his wingman. He was a young man. He came under uh, Paul's wing, and Paul liked him a lot. You're about to hear why. Verse 20, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone, you should read else, everyone else, looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. He's saying Timothy actually looks out for those, for others. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. So he's pretty sure he's going to live. He talked about this in chapter 1. He said, is it better to be with you or better to be with Christ Jesus and die? I would kind of selfishly like to die and be with Jesus, but for your sakes, I hope to 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 live so i can minister to you more he's saying i'm confident it's going to go that way i'll send timothy when i know for sure so he can tell you but i'm pretty sure i'm going to get released so this is just practical logistical stuff but even in that he's preaching at him he's saying the reason i trust timothy is because he listens to me and he puts others first i don't trust other people who put themselves first you can't you can't depend on someone who's going to put themselves first can you because as soon as it's bad for them they're going to get out Anybody ever watch Seinfeld? I'm not going to con- condemn you. There's, a, con- there's a, uh, a character on there named Kramer, Cosmo Kramer. He's kind of weird. But at one point, Seinfeld and he make a bet. And I don't remember what the bet is. But all of a sudden, things start to go against Kramer's way, and Kramer says, bets off. And he says, Seinfeld says, well, you can't call bets off. That's the nature of a bet. And he said, yeah, I know, but uh, uh, things changed. That's the sort of thing that happens with self interested people. They'll tell you that they're going to be solid, but as soon as things change for them and it's not good for them, they're out the door. You can't count on a selfish person. Should we be able to count on one another in the church? Yeah. So stop being selfish. Verse 25 But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co worker, and fellow soldier. Was Paul a soldier? Not for the Romans. Who was he a soldier for? Christ. So he's talking in military terms. Just wanted wanted you to see that. We who follow Christ were not civilians. We're warriors. We're inducted into the Lord's army. Epaphroditus, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. So he was a messenger from the church in Philippi. They sent to take care of Paul while he was in prison, bringing goods and, and food and stuff. Verse 26, for he, Epaphroditus, longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. So this is logistics. Epaphroditus was sent from Philippi to Paul, but while he was with Paul, he got sick and he almost died. But now he's better and he's going to send him back to Philippi. That's what he's saying here. Verse 28, Therefore I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. Is that a good thing, to almost die for Jesus? There would be some people who say, okay, follow Jesus, but if it's dangerous, don't do it. If it might get you in trouble, don't do it. Is that the gospel? When Jesus himself got killed for it, then that is not something that that scares us away. In fact, suffering for following Jesus, dying for following Jesus, makes us more like Jesus. He is in that. We should not be shying away from suffering, getting sick, getting hurt, dying. These are things that bring us closer to Jesus. So if we're moving in Jesus' direction and those sort of things are happening, that's not evidence that we're doing it wrong. That might be evidence that we're doing it right. Now, that's not to say we enjoy pain. Nobody enjoys pain. But if you are suffering for doing what is right, that brings you closer to Jesus. Do you know that Jesus is in that suffering? That's what he's saying here. Epaphroditus was pleasing the Lord whenever he suffered and almost died for him. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. So that closing thought, I want us to be thoughtful of. Those who are willing to suffer and die for Christ and one another. Those who put others' needs ahead of their own. Those who let the word of life be their guide, forsake themselves, and follow Christ as their Lord. Well, shouldn't we be praying that we can be like that? If Christians can't be working to be like that, then there is no church on the earth anymore. That's the sort of people that Christ died to save. And I know sometimes it feels like our lives are of no consequence. Oh, who cares if there's Christians in no water? Who cares if there's a true church here? Jesus cares. And you know what? We should care. Do you desire to be saved from your sins? That was an easy one. Let me give it to you again. Do you desire to be saved from your sins? Then, friends, let me remind you today of the importance of repentance. To work out your salvation with fear and trembling and to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and self-strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. I offer this to you out of love. I want us to be together forever. And more than that, I want to be with the Lord Jesus, and his love for me means that I have to love you the way that he loved me. He warned the people in his day, let us warn and love one another that we might be in Christ's kingdom forever. Let's stand and sing our closing hymn, Blessed be the tie that binds number 557. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above.